Let's remain standing for our scripture reading, coming from Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is God's word. You can take your seats. Good morning, everybody. Happy 2024. Can you believe it? Wow, we're here. A new year. Um, It's amazing to be together um, yet another year, and I don't take that for granted. My name is Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here, um, and it's my privilege to share God's word with you today. Um, You know, some of my best friends in the world are huge baseball fans, and not just that. They're Chicago Cubs fans. We got any Cubs fans in the house? Yeah. You guys are an excited bunch. Um, I'm not a big baseball fan. I don't have a good like track record with baseball. I wasn't very good at it. Um, to be honest, I get bored a lot watching it on TV. But I would keep hearing my friends who love the Cubs just talk about you know, their team and how amazing the Cubs are. But more than that, what, it, what an amazing experience it is to go to Wrigley Field and actually experience that iconic American experience of baseball in person. And so after years of hearing about this, uh, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to actually go with some friends to Chicago, and we actually went to a Cubs game. And I will never forget getting off of the train at Addison Station, and as we kind of entered into the space where Wrigley Field is, I mean, the vibe was absolutely electric. I mean, right away, your senses are, are inundated. There's a sound, and I, I'll never forget, there was a, a group of guys on the corner with one of those 80s-style boomboxes and had the music going, and they're just dancing. They're just, like, having a party on the street right there. There's vendors everywhere, and everything red and white and blue. You can buy everything from a hat to a, a jersey uh, to any trinket you can imagine. But maybe the most uh, impactful thing that I remember is the smell, And it's the smell of hot dogs roasting and peanuts roasting absolutely everywhere. There's carts, and you just smell those hot dogs on the grill, and it just sort of overtakes all of your senses. And so my friends and I, we we made our way through the turnstiles and made it into the stadium. And then the first thing we did, of course, is go buy one of those iconic Chicago dogs. And I remember going to the station, to the, like, condiment station and you get the mustard and then you have to get that nuclear green relish if you've ever been there it's a crazy color green it's probably not natural or good for you but it's amazing and so you get your hot dog and then uh, we had bleacher seats that day because my friends were like you've got if you're going to experience the cubs you have to sit in the bleachers with the crazy fans and so that's where we went we made our way to the outfield bleachers and We sat there and had our hot dog, and by the end of the game, my voice was hoarse, and this is a guy that doesn't love baseball, was like absolutely caught up in the experience of baseball, and I was cheering my Cubs onto a a win against the Brewers that day. But you know, what I really learned that day at Wrigley Field is that there's a big difference from knowing about something and actually experiencing it. And I don't know if you've ever had something like that where you've like known a lot about something or someone and then you've had an experience and it just deepened your understanding in a profound way. And, and here's the reality is that our spiritual life works exactly 
the same way. But in the church, we've so often, and in our Christian lives, we've so often been invited to just learn a lot of information about God. And that's not a bad thing. We need to know things about God. He's written to us that we might know him, but there's more. Henry Blackaby, in, in his work, Experiencing God, wrote this, merely knowing about God will leave you unsatisfied. Truly knowing God only comes through experience as he reveals himself to you through his word and as you relate to him. Throughout the Bible, we can see that God took the initiative to disclose himself to people through their life events. Did you know that? That God not only wants to tell you about himself through his word, but he wants you to experience him through the very events of your own life. And the reality is that our hearts ache to experience God. This is what you were made for. And so as we enter into this new year, we're going to spend the next eight weeks talking about just this, about experiencing God. What does it look like to move from just knowing about God to really experiencing him? How can we close this gap that exists between the beauty of the good news that we read about and what we actually experience in the realities of our own lives. Have you had that experience where you know you hear about these things in the church, you maybe see other people experiencing God, but then when you are just honest with yourself, you're like, but that's not the experience that I'm having in my own life. And I'm wondering, where is God? And so we're going to talk about what it looks like to close that gap, that we might begin to experience the beauty of the good news that we read about and understand and experience that in the realities of our own life. So, you know, just think, for example, you can read that you're forgiven and you can, we can say that week after week after week that, hey, like no matter what you've done, it's not too much that you're forgiven by God because he loves you. And we can even understand that in our minds. But here's the question. Have you experienced the forgiveness of Jesus? in the actual events of your life? Have you felt it in the core of your being? And even more importantly, are you living out of that new reality of experience? Well, experiencing God requires that we embark on a journey, and we keep talking about this. I think this is the best metaphor for understanding spiritual life, is that we are on a journey. And so... Um, we're going to embark on this journey, and we're going to explore some of the contours along the road to a deeper understanding of what it looks like to find and follow Jesus. And, and we're going to talk a lot of, about a lot of things in this realm over the next eight, eight weeks, but today, our guide for the journey is the prophet Jeremiah. And I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the prophet Jeremiah, but he lived about 600 years before the birth of Christ, and he's a prophet. He's a young prophet. He's a reluctant prophet. He's a prophet that uh, didn't experience a lot of success in the way we understand it. In other words, people didn't listen to what he had to say. People for 40 years rejected everything he had to say. Um, and yet, in the context of the greater story of, of God's bigger true story, he's one of the most important figures in the Old Testament prophetic text. So who, this is Jeremiah. Who is he writing to? Jeremiah is writing a letter to an exiled people. And if you're not familiar with the word exile, that's a very important term. We're going to talk about that a lot over the next couple of months. Um, to be exiled means to be uh, aw sent away from your home. 
It means to be a stranger in a strange land. It means to be living far from your tribe, from your, your people. And so he's writing to the exiled people. In this case, it's the people of Judah. And if you remember just a brief history of God's people, that uh, God chose this nothing tribe of, of Israel that came from uh, Abraham, and that there was 12 tribes that made up the nation of Israel. They were God's chosen people, but over and over and over again, they rejected God, and there was consequence for God's re or their rejection of God, and so eventually they divide into two separate nations, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and both nations over time fail to follow God, and this is essentially the story of the whole Old Testament is people over and over and over again failing to follow God, and so they are subjected to his judgment and the consequence of their choices, which in their case comes in the form of invasion by foreign nations. And so the nation of Babylon destroyed Jerusalem and its temple, exiled its king and many of its leading citizens in 586 BC. This is just historical fact. And what that did was essentially end Judah's existence as an independent kingdom, and it inaugurated what's known as the Babylonian exile. And so Jeremiah, the young prophet, is writing to the Judean exiles who are now living in Babylon. They've been taken away from their homes, stripped of everything they own, and now they're living as strangers in a strange land. And this context of, of exile is extremely relevant to us today, because I don't know if you realize this or not, but we too are exiles. We're strangers in a strange land. We are God's people who are living in a foreign land. And until Christ returns, we live in this foreign world that is marked by rebellion and the ensuing evil and pain and suffering and wickedness that comes in a world that has forgotten God. We are the people of God longing to experience God, to know him and his will for us, but we're doing that in a world that is far from him, just like the exiles in Babylon. So that's one piece of context as we begin to look at what Jeremiah has to say about experiencing God, is that he's writing to exiles, and we should be able to relate to that. Second is that one of the hard things about being an exile is that we are so tempted to find a way out of our circumstances on our own. And we like to rely on our own planning, and we look at the difficult circumstances of, of our life, and then we ask God, God, would you bless my plan to get me out of this thing? that I'm in. And this is exactly what's happening with the Judean exiles in Babylon. The people, as you can imagine, they're longing to be set free. They, they deeply desire to return home to the life that they once had. And so they're surrounded by false prophets that are just a voice of the people that are saying, this is also what God wants you to do. He wants to give you what you want. He wants to set you free right now. And he's going to send you home right now. But Jeremiah is saying, no, God has a different plan. And much to the chagrin of the people, the plan is for his people to remain in exile and to make their homes there. You see, sometimes, a lot of times, God's plans and his ways and his thoughts are not our plans, not our ways, not our thoughts. And this is a context for the exiles. And this is also extremely relevant for us, if you haven't caught on to that yet, um, because how often do we want to find our own way out of difficulty and ask God to bless our plans. We, we find ourselves in financial hardship, and so we, you know, we manufacture ways out of that. We say, God, bless 
our plans rather than embarking on a journey of discovering what God has for us as a first action when we find ourselves as exiles, as strangers in a strange land facing all kinds of difficulties. So that's a little bit of context for our scripture today. And I'm gonna begin reading in Jeremiah chapter 29, starting in verse 10. And I'm reading from, I know we normally read from the New Living Translation. I'm reading from the New International Version because for these, these texts, it just was closer to the original Hebrew and um, the, the wording fit the teaching a little bit more for today. But if you're in the NLT, you can still follow along. So this is uh, Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. Now, a lot of us are very familiar with the center of that passage, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare, to give you a future and a hope. And we find that in a lot of Christian bookstores on bumper stickers. And we love that because we love that idea, right? Like, yes, God has a plan for me and God has a hope and a future for me. And it's absolutely 100% true. But what's not true is that it's not, again, God blessing my plans. It's not me just independently of God hoping for something, then asking God to give me that thing that it would fulfill my heart. It's God at the center of the story. And that's the first thing we need to recognize in this passage, that God is at the center of the story. Pay attention to what it says in the text. He will visit his people. What an amazing image. It's God, and this is the story of throughout Genesis to Revelation, the whole story. It's always God initiating activity. It's God visiting his people. It's God coming to us. That's what we just celebrated in the incarnation at Christmas. God will visit his people. Second, he will fulfill his promise. Another major theme of the scriptures that it's not God waiting for us to be faithful. It's God saying, I'm going to be faithful to fulfill my promise. Third, he will bring his people home. God will do it. God will bring the exiles home. And God will one day bring us home as well. Fourth, he has plans for his people for a future and a hope. And isn't that what we all long for? All of those things, isn't it? God running after us. We keep talking about this idea that we all come screaming into the world looking for someone who's looking for us. We long to have God running after us, and we long for a hope and a future beyond our present circumstance. But the question is, as we look at experiencing God, is where does God's plan intersect with our reality? And, and, and I know for many of you, God might seem very far away, and you don't know how to access him, and there's this, just this bifurcation of your life, and you're like, I want to believe in the future and the hope and, and God who's out there, who's above my circumstances, but the reality is Monday's coming, my bills are coming, my relational difficulties in my marriage and in my parenting and in my friendships, they're all still right in front of me, and they feel so acute and so painful and so difficult, and there's so many things pulling me in so many different directions. How do I access God? How do we know him? How can we know his plan for us? In other words, how can we experience God? 
Well, Jeremiah gives us some clues when he tells the Judeans and he tells us the way forward in this journey of experiencing God in Jeremiah 29, 13, the very next verse. Verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And there's three words that I want to draw your attention to as we learn what it looks like to experience God in our lives. The first word is seek. Seek. This is a very important word at the heart of what it means to be a Christian and to follow God. Because even in exile, even as people living in a world that is opposed to God with so much pain and suffering and difficulty, we have agency. We have choice. We can act. We are beings made to seek. We're made to long for something. We're made to long for someone. And we're made to set out on an intentional course to pursue the thing that we're seeking. And so every day we make choices and we have agency. And every day we're seeking something. The question is, what is it that you're seeking? What are you running after? What's captured your imagination? Maybe the most deep way to ask this is, what is it that you really want? What is it that you really want? How do you answer that question? What is your deepest desire? What is it that you're running after in your life? What has captured your imagination? And so the first thing we need to pay attention to as we seek to try to uh, follow God and experience him is that we have to evaluate the things that we are seeking. I'd just love for you just to take a moment, and if you're taking notes, maybe you want to write down some of the things that you're seeking, and, and some of those things you might not be proud of. You know, I, I recently did this exercise, you know, whenever I'm preaching and teaching, what I've discovered is that it's, I'm, I'm the primary student. I hope you're getting something out of it too, but God's doing a work in me, and something he showed me this week as I was studying this is that all too often, and I didn't see this at first, but as I sat with it, I said, you know what, this is true. I, I'm seeking the attention of others, and I'm seeking influence from other people. And that drives so much of my heart, so much of my activity in, in an unhealthy way. So I don't know what the things that you're seeking look like, but you know, I would encourage you to write those down as a way of confession, as a way of naming reality of what is true. We have to evaluate the things that we are seeking. You know, the scriptures tell us that if we've been raised with Christ, this is Colossians 3, 1 through 2, we should seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and we should set our minds on things that are above, not on the things that are of the earth, but the reality is we all seek things that are of the earth. We seek things that are too small for us. And what we're made for is to long for the really big thing of God himself. Because the things that we long for reveal the object of our hearts. And, and a way to evaluate the things that you're seeking and whether those are good for you or not is to ask the question, if you got the thing that you were seeking, what would it give you? What would it give you? So for me, in my example, if I got influence with all the people I'm seeking influence and I got you know, the attention of all the people I'm seeking attention from, what would that give me at the end? And here's the deal, guys. Every single thing that you're seeking at the end of it, every single thing except for God himself will leave you empty. 
like will leave you wanting more. It won't answer your deepest needs because the deepest needs that you're made to long for is found in God himself. Matthew 6.33 says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. You see, there's an order to the way that our heart ought to desire things that we have to put a desire for God first. We have to seek him first And then he says, I'll take care of all these other things that you're longing for in your life, but it doesn't work the other way. We can't long for these other things and seek after them and then go, oh, maybe I'll seek God too. It doesn't happen that way. Because we're made to be God seekers. We're made to seek the Lord in his strength, Psalm 105.4, to seek his presence continually. The second word I want us to pay attention to is the word find is that we're, we're made to find God, that we, there's an object of our seeking. The question is, how do we know when we found God? And I want to pivot to a, a, a parable that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, uh, it's called the parable of the treasure in the field. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man bought it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought his field, bought the field. And so if you can imagine this story, there's a guy... And he's, you know, he finds himself in an agricultural field of some sort. He's digging around. And imagine he discovers a treasure, and it's like more wealth than he's ever known before. I mean, it's enough wealth to fuel and to fund him for his entire life. And what's his response? He hides it again. And then it says, in his joy, he goes and sells everything else he has, and he buys the field When I read that little story, I thought, why doesn't he just take the treasure and run? I mean, isn't that what you would do? You find a treasure in a field, you're looking around, make sure nobody's seen you, and you're loading up your sedan in the back, you know? Get as much of that treasure in the trunk as you can and get the heck out of there. But that's not the way the story goes. The story goes, in his joy, he went and sold everything he had, and he buys the field. Why not just take the treasure? It's because, you see, The treasure is the things that God gives to us, but the field is God himself. And so when we find God, the reality is you know when you found God is because there's a willingness in you to give up absolutely everything else in your life to stay with him. When you've experienced the presence of the living God, there's nothing better. And this is a picture of wholehearted allegiance about what it looks like when you finally find what you've been seeking, which is God himself. You sell everything else and you realize the gift isn't all the things that God gives you. It's the presence of God himself and it's worth your whole life. Have you experienced that? Have you had an experience of finding God And for many of us, we've had that experience, but then we get distracted and we get pulled in all kinds of different directions and we forget what that was like. But you know what? Every week, God is so good. He's so merciful. He gives us opportunity to come back to him again. So the journey of experiencing God is a movement of seeking and then finding. And the thing that we're trying to find is God himself. And when we find God, it's worth all of our life, wholehearted allegiance to him. Now, the last phrase that I want us to pay attention to that's the most important qualifies our seeking and our finding. He says that if we seek him and find him, when you seek me with all of your heart, 
God promises that when we seek him with all of our heart, we will find him. And so there's a couple of terms we need to pay attention to here. First of all, what is your heart? Now, in our culture, we think of our heart as the place where we have emotion, right? We think of romantic love. We have the emoji heart symbol and the floating heart symbol, and this is the heart. But in the Hebrew understanding, there's a much deeper meaning of the word heart. You see, the heart is the air traffic control center of every human being. It's the place where your thoughts and your feelings and your desires and your deep desires and your choices live It's the center of every human being. And so to seek God with all of our heart means that we think of him, that we orient our emotional life toward him, that we desire him, and that we make choices to pursue him. So if we want to experience God, we must seek him with all of our heart. We must be like that man who found the treasure that's willing to sell everything. There's nothing that's in comparison to finding Jesus. The question is, what keeps us from seeking God with all of our heart? And there's probably a lot of reasons, but as I sat with this, um, I think one reason is that we live very compartmentalized, internal lives. We live bifurcated lives. In other words, we separate our thoughts from our feelings and our feelings from our desires. And so we live as, as beings that are split apart, but it's not the way that your heart was designed. It's not the way that you were designed See, you were designed that you would pursue God with everything that you have. And at the center of pursuing God with all of your heart is really one question. And it's a question of deep desire. And it's a question of what is it that you want? So we're back there again. What do you really want? And the way that you answer that question will tell you what you most deeply desire. And again, in the church, in our Christian lives, we focus so much on knowing about God, accumulating information about him, but we've often neglected to travel the 18 inches from our head to our heart, moving from simply knowing about God to deeply desiring him. So how is it that we seek God with all of our heart? And I want to leave you guys with a very pra- some practical steps that you can employ this week, because again, the Christian life is, is a wholehearted life of following. It's about wanting Jesus above all of the other things, but then making choices, taking charge of our agency, and disciplining ourselves in certain practices to set ourselves up to experience what God has for us. And I'm going to name three today. So some practices to help us seek God with all of our heart. First of all, journey with others. This isn't Traveling the way of Jesus is not a journey for a solo superhero, even though our culture likes to talk about spirituality in that way. You kind of find your path and I find my path. It's not the Christian way. It's why we're gathered here. Look around. This is why do you do this weird thing in the culture and show up on a Sunday morning? You should just be at home resting and doing whatever you want. You show up here. Why? Because we need each other. We need fellow sojourners who see us, encourage us, remind us of the truth. And you get to experience that a little bit here, but here's the deal. I keep pointing us to deeper life because what you're really longing for in journeying with others is you're longing to be at a table, to eat a meal, to be with people who know you and know your story and know all the inclinations and proclivities of your heart and love you anyway. And that's what the Christian community is all about. So I want to keep pointing you to get in a group. 
That's why we have groups, and you can, you can talk to people at the connection table today. You can talk to any of us today. We deeply desire that you would be in small community where you would know other people, and they would know you, because this is all about journeying together with other people. That's practice number one. And so as you start off this new year and you're evaluating the question, what am I longing for most? Do I really long to experience Jesus with all of my heart? And you say, well, I'm not, no, not really, maybe in part. What do I do about that? Well, number one is get, start journeying with other people. Stop trying to do it alone. You can't do it. I can't do it. Number two, eliminate distraction. We live in an incredibly noisy world. You're inundated with so much input. You're, input. You're flooded with choices on how to spend your time and your money and your attention. But the question again is where are you paying attention? Where's the space in your day that you're tuning into God's voice and attuning your ear and your heart to the sound of his voice? Guys, we have to create space where we're not distracted. I know I'm like, raise my hand, that is the hardest thing for me because I like to go fast, I like to have a lot of things on my calendar, uh, and, and it's really a difficult thing in our world because we get rewarded for our output and our productivity and accomplishing things. But the spiritual life, if we're longing to be with Jesus and truly experience him and know his will for our life, we have to journey with others and we have to create space in our world to hear from him. And so I just want to encourage you, if that sounds really daunting, you're like, I don't know how to do that. Man, start with five minutes. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, I had a mentor once tell me like, like the night before, so tonight before you go to bed, find a place in your house and go, that's the chair I'm gonna spend time with Jesus in the morning. I'm gonna meet him right there. I'm gonna choose that place and I'm gonna get up in the morning and maybe for you it's just five minutes and I'm gonna turn off, I'm gonna have an analog moment, I'm gonna turn off all my devices and I'm gonna sit there and if you don't know what else to do, Would you just put your palms up on your knees? Would you just close your eyes and pray? And maybe you don't know how to pray, but here's the most simple prayer of all time. Be still and know that I am God. And maybe that's all you know how to pray right now. Be still and know that I am God. Just still your heart, be with him. Maybe you just cry out the the even more simple prayer, help, Jesus, help me. And you can cry out to him. Isaiah 55, 6 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And so if something's prompting you today that I deeply want to experience more of God, here's your first step. Get in community, carve out time to not be distracted and to be with him. Third and last, slow down. John Mark Comer wrote a book that rocked my world This year, um, I've implemented about 1% of what he wrote. So it was maybe the most discouraging book I've read in a long time. But it was called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he quotes Dallas Willard, who was his mentor, in saying the greatest enemy to spiritual growth in your life is busyness. We've got to learn how to slow down. Listen, all these things, the practices of journeying with others, the practices of eliminating distraction, the practices of slowing down, All of this culminates in one concept, and that concept is the concept of Sabbath. The concept of Sabbath was a command, it's relevant for us today, that we should take one day out of seven, that we should do these things. And you're practicing some of that now, you're journeying, you've made a decision to get up and journey with others today. And would you make a decision to to live a little piece of your week this week, or maybe your day today, your Sabbath day, 
with distraction. Maybe you want to take five minutes today and just eliminate some distraction from your world. And I would just encourage you as you go home from here, don't go right back into checking your email and making life happen. Use today for what it was created for, which was to help you journey with Jesus. Just slow down. Give yourself permission to take a nap, to do nothing. Don't accomplish anything today. Trust God with the outcomes. Listen, I know these are tough concepts, but I pray with God's help, we would be a community that would experience the living God together and that as we do so, he would transform us by his power. Let me pray, and then we're gonna set up the table and end our time with a beautiful expression and experience of God in communion together. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to live this day to the full, being true to you in every way. Jesus, help us to give ourselves away to others, being kind to everyone we meet. Spirit, help us to love the lost and proclaim Christ in all we do and say. And may this day bring Sabbath rest to our hearts and our home. And may we embrace our small finiteness in the arms of God's infinite greatness. And, And may God's word feed us and his spirit lead us into the week and into the life to come. In Jesus' name, amen.